Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. Awesome. All right, now look. All right, we're in the middle of a series that we are calling How to Blow Up Your Relationship. And playing the newlywed game is one of those ways, right? They're all going to be on a fight on the way home. All right, we're talking about the kind of bombs, really, the kind of bombs that we kind of put into our marriages to ruin them or to our relationships. And remember, this series is for everybody. You don't have to be married. Right? You just have to be thinking, hey, maybe someday I might be married or I might have a kid that's going to be married one day and I can share this information with them. Or I just know someone who's about to get married. And since we are the church and we're supposed to be there for one another, this is all information that we can share. So this is for everybody. Last week we talked about the landmine, the first bomb, the landmine of boredom that is just hiding in the field of the relationships that we're in ready to kind of pop up and just take us off at the knees. And to diffuse this bomb, we talk about three things uh, that we can do in our marriages that helps us diffuse it. Right? And just for accountability's sake, uh, Christine and I, we've been having our 15-minute conversations after dinner. We've been uh, uh, talking, right? We, we mentioned last week that on average, most couples only have four minutes of meaningful conversation a day. Four minutes, right? So we challenged everybody to kind of step that up to 15 minutes. And the other thing we talked about was, was to go on a date night, have some fun, right? And so Christina and I, luckily, like last winter, around Christmas, we bought tickets to go see To Kill a Mockingbird. And so this Friday, we actually went and saw it. That's us at the Kennedy Center, just for accountability's sake. So we saw To Kill a Mockingbird, which was great. I think it was the last day, that the last weekend they're showing it, so you're all on a luck. But it was wonderful, all right, and then the other thing we talked about, none of your business, right? <laughs> so we, um, we're talking about these bombs and these explosions, not just because um, it's important. It's because it's a foundation that we want to lay, right? And I wanted to start today with the newlywed game, not just because it's a fun continuation of the conversation we had about fun last week, but also because the game teaches us a few things, right? It teaches us how much I can get away with when I trick people to come up in front of everybody, right? But it also teaches us how much these couples know about each other and how entwined they are in each other's lives. Everybody, every couple is like that. How intimate they are. And so this week we'll be talking about intimacy. Now, right, calm down, right? <laughs> calm down. And some of you guys are like, great, right? We're talking about intimacy. I had enough sex talk from you last week, Andrew. All right, I just calm down, right? We're not going to spend the next 30 minutes talking about sex, right? Contrary to what most of us think, especially men, intimacy has little to do with sex in our relationships, right? It's a, it's a part of it, but it's not all of it, right? Remember, this series is about the bombs that we set off to ruin our relationships. And so, so what is the bomb that ruins intimacy, 
Right, think about it. What is the bond that ruins intimacy? Well, I think there's a story in the Bible that kind of illustrates this perfectly and will show us what the bomb is. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking at uh, today. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats that are in front of you, and you can take those with you. They are free for you. You can also download on that QR code, the Foundry Burke app. And there's a Bible tab on that app, along with all of our announcements, all of our sign-ups, all of everything, our podcasts, everything's on that app. But there's also a Bible tab. You click that Bible tab, and Genesis 2 is already pulled up there. So as you're turning there, Genesis chapter 2, go ahead and turn there, get used to turning. All right, Genesis chapter 2, let me give you a little bit of context. We are in the creation story. We are in the creation story of the entire world, right? God has made all the heavens. He's made all the earth. He's all the animals, all the fish, all the birds, right? Things are going good. And then he makes man, Adam, right? The, the, the first, the best, creation is good. And listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 22, It simply says this, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed all those animals from the ground, all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. That's a pretty cool job, For just a side note, all right? He chose all their names for each one. He gave them the names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out of the man, uh, man's ribs, took one of the man's ribs out and closed it up the opening. The Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Right? At last, the man exclaimed, this is one, this one is from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out from man. Right? So God is saying, all right, I made man. I, I gave him a job. He's, he's kind of tended in the garden. He's naming all these animals. I gave him a home. And then he says, let, let me make him a partner. Let me make him a supporter, a, a companion. Everything is great. Adam is happy. Eve is happy. God is happy. Things, things are looking up in this, in this world. And now turn over to just to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to read a pretty big chunk of it. Starting in verse 1, it says this. All right, everything's going good. And then the serpent. Oh, hey, snakes. All right, the, the serpent... Uh, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat uh, the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. 
Ah, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, now the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was there as well, who was with her, and he ate it. Two. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sold fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, it says. Right? Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was this woman that you gave me. Who gave me this fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate. Just go ahead and keep your Bible open there. Everything was great. Everything was hitting on all cylinders. And then with one prompt, one thought, one point in the, uh, the wrong direction, everything falls apart. Right? Adam and Eve go from fully knowing and being fully known by God to hiding from God. Hiding from God. What, what happened there, right? At the heart of it, right? If you if you strip away all of the the he did this and she did that, right? If you strip all of that crud away, at the heart of it is a loss of intimacy, and it's it comes down to one word, and it's this word, pride. It comes down to that word, right? Pride made Satan think that he was worthy of worship. And think he should destroy God's creation. That was pride. Pride made Eve think that she deserved to eat the one thing God told her not to. Pride made Adam join in on the trouble and not be the leader that he was supposed to be in that moment. Pride made them hide from God because they were embarrassed, because they were naked. And the list goes on and on. Right? Pride, as it says in Proverbs chapter 16, comes before the fall. And pride ruined the greatest intimacy that has ever been. Pride ruined it. And that's what we want to talk about today. The smoke bomb of pride. The smoke bomb of pride. And now, all right, I get it. There's a lot of military people in our community here, or you probably just watched Maverick, Top Gun, and you're thinking, a smoke bomb is not really a bomb, is it, Andrew? How can this be dangerous? Well, you're right, right? Smoke bombs aren't necessarily a true bomb, but they do serve a purpose in battle, don't they? Right? Look, like smoke bombs have one job, and that's to hide things. They, they cover things, don't they? Right? They hide things. When you are fighting in a battle, a smoke bomb would be set off to hide your location, to hide your movement, to hide yourself. You want to attack an enemy who knows you're coming. You throw up a smoke bomb, and they can't see where you're coming from. 
You want to change positions, throw up a smoke bomb, and the enemy won't see where you move. Right? Smoke bombs, they hide you. Just like pride. They're a facade. Adam and Eve's pride caused them to hide from God as if you can do that. In in relationships, in marriages, the smoke bomb of pride causes us to hide the truth of who we are from our spouse. Pride covers up our weaknesses. It, It covers up our insecurities. It covers up our authentic self. Pride keeps us from the fullness of intimacy available to us in every area of life. Right, smoke bombs, they, they seem like they can't cause a lot of damage, but smoke hides the truth. It, it hides the truth and it sets us up to create a big, dangerous mess. Right, think of it like this. When Christine and I, uh, we, we were first married, we went to a yard sale because there was a sign. Right? We drove down the street, there was this sign that said, free puppies. All right, so of course, we had to go, all right? Contrary to what I said, no, don't eat that fruit. No, I'm just kidding. All right, we had to go. We got a free puppy. Uh, uh, We were told that it was a part boxer, part coon dog, and so we we named her Adrian after the fictional boxer's wife, right, Rocky Balboa, his wife, Adrian. So we called her Addie, right, and I would go, yo, Adrian. She never listened. Right, she was a great dog. We called her Addie for short. She grew up, and we realized that she was not part boxer. She was just all mutt with a little bit of kangaroo in her because she could jump, right? And this is a picture of her. She was a great dog. She got sick. We had to put her down. It was very sad. But she was a great dog. And now you know that I have a dog that's not like this dog, right? Barton, who just sleeps like 23 and a half hours out of 24 hours. But Addie, no. She was full of energy, uh, loved walks, all this kind of stuff. She was a great dog. She had a lot of energy. And like I said, she could jump. She could jump really high. And, And this made bath time a little bit more interesting than maybe bath time with Barton now, my dog now, right? Well, at some point, Addie got into something smelly outside. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember that Christina was not home, and Christina was the one that usually gave the baths to Addie. And so I'm thinking, you know what? I got this, right? I'm, I'm big. I'm strong. I can handle this situation. I am a man. Hear me roar, right? If Christina can do it, then I definitely can do it. No doubt, I got this. And so I, I drag Addie into the bathroom. I put her in the tub. I start scrubbing. And next thing you know, she's like running on the ceiling. There, there were literal dog, soapy, muddy dog prints on the ceiling of the bathroom. There was, there was water everywhere. She ended up in the sink on her back, upside down. The toilet paper from the toilet paper roll was all over. The toilet seat came off. I had no idea what happened. It was a horrible debacle. And after it was finished, I humbled myself and I called Christina. And I told her the whole story. And after she got finished laughing at me, I told her that for the safety of our marriage and for the safety of Addie's life, she should be in charge of bath time going forward. Right? Nothing, nothing can humble you more than trying to give a dog a bath 
or a baby a bath, from what I'm told, right? Have you ever had an issue like this where you were humbled? Think about it. Maybe, maybe probably a little bit more serious of a situation than just giving your dog a bath. A, a serious one, not just a bathing issue. Is it just me? We've been humbled. And let me give you a few examples and see if you can relate to any of these. Right? You're, you're running late and you, and you don't want to be thought of as disorganized or inconsiderate. And so you just decide to speed a little bit. But not really just speed, but to actually drive kind of dangerously. You're, you're in and out. You're passing on the right. You're, you're driving on the exit ramps and the curbs, right? You decide that the speed limit that is instituted for the safety of everyone else doesn't apply to you unless you spot a police car. Right? Because you see, your reputation, your name is more important than anyone else's safety. That could be an instance, right? Or, or maybe you've said this, I, I know the golden rule and that we should be slow to anger and we, we should answer softly like it says in the Bible, but, but here's the thing, I'm angry right now. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak harshly and make myself the exception. Don't take offense to what I say. It's just the way that I am. But if you speak harshly to me, I'm definitely going to take offense. Right? All right? What about this one? Right? I know the Bible says that we shouldn't neglect meeting together, but Sundays are my only day to catch up on sleep and to just, you know, Netflix and relax. I mean, it is the Sabbath, right? Uh, I won't get that much out of the singing or the sermon anyways. And besides, the, the church in the book of Acts, like the church that we're trying to be, they didn't have Spotify and podcasts, so they had to make it a rule. So I'll make myself the exception to, to needing to be a regular active part of Christ's body in the local church because I can handle my faith on my own. Or listen, maybe that one didn't resonate, and it's this one. I, I know that pornography may be dangerously addictive to, to some people and damage the, the way that we view others and the, the contribute, the, how we contribute to the, the slavery of sex trafficking. And I know that Jesus says that lust is a, is a sin, but I'll, I'll make myself the exception to those warnings because I won't let any of those things happen to me. Oh, one more indulgent look isn't going to affect the sex trade, and Jesus will forgive me like he always does anyways. Right, we could go on and on, right? Foundry Church, right? Here's the truth. Right behind every uh, willful sin, every conscious act of disobedience to God is the idea that what God says is best for his church, best for his bride, best for us, it need not apply to us as an individual. Right? We are born with this stupid belief that we are the best judges of righteousness and justice for ourselves and that we are the most reliable definers and appliers of love, honor, and respect. We love to feed ourselves such baloney, such junk, but it's, it, it's far worse than just junk or baloney. It's old-fashioned, Eden-birth, sinful, self-centered pride. That's what it is. right? And, and look, pride pulls apart every attempt we make at intimacy. Not just with our marriages, 
but with every relationship and especially with our marriages, right? Pride puts us first. It puts us first. Pride puts us at the top of the priority list and everyone else be damned. Pride puts our reputation, our feelings, our ideas at the top of, of every list and it makes us incapable of intimacy, right? Imagine... Just for an easy way to view this, I put you and your spouse or your fiancé or, or your future spouse in a room together, a big warehouse or something. And I said, you know what? I want you two to put together a puzzle. And there's only four pieces, and they're like the size of, those, of the, the boards that we were using. They're big, right? You just have to put the puzzle together. You, have to find, you each have to find two pieces, meet somewhere in the middle, put the puzzle together. Right? Not hard to complete, right? Pretty simple idea. But wait, what if I said, first, I'm going to set off a bunch of smoke bombs, right? There's going to be just boom, boom, smoke bombs, right? And then you begin, right? It's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? A little bit more challenging, almost impossible. I, I picture that movie with the, the, the diver, and he, he has to put together a gasket, right? And they kick it over the side of the dock because they didn't want him to be successful at it. And he has to, it's, it's like that. It's hard to put together the pieces of a successful relationship when you're hiding yourself from each other. And so what do we do? What do we do, Foundry Church? How do we defuse this bomb? Or how do we get past it when we do explode it in our relationships? Well, I think if we go back to the Genesis story, we'll find the answers. Right? First, first look at the life that Adam and Eve lived with God before the fall. Think about that. Think about that life that they lived before the first sin, before they ate that fruit of that tree. Right? Too often we fully remember when Everything fell apart, but we skip right over the part before that. Right? Just picture it for a moment. Right? The, the only people in the whole world, the, the, the first ever created, walked with God. They talked with God. Right? They, they knew what his footsteps sounded like. Any question they had, they could ask. <laughs> Any desire they had, he knew it and provided for it. Together, fully bare, right? Before God, fully known and fully at peace. Think about that. Perfection. And that is what we as Christians, people forging their life on God, look forward to, strive for, ache for. And that is the first step to uh, disarming this bomb, to clearing this bomb out of the fields of our relationship. It's this. It's authentic, authentic intimacy with God. It's authentic uh, intimacy with God. We see it right there in Genesis. Now that may sound weird to you. Right? Right? But, but here is the truth. The way to have a, a great marriage is to not focus on your marriage. It's to focus on God, first and foremost. I think far too many of us believe that, that what makes a successful marriage, a successful Christian marriage, whatever that is, is just a happy marriage with good kids who don't cuss too much. <laughs> right? 
Right, seriously, we, we think, man, if I could just find a little bit of happiness in my marriage and my kids are well-adjusted and maybe they just don't, don't cuss too much, then maybe I, I am successful. But that is not how God or we as the church, the foundry, measures success. A successful relationship, a successful marriage, a successful family is one where each person in that relationship, each person in that family arrives at heaven and they hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Right, that they are fully forged on God. Every aspect of their life from top to bottom is forged on God. That they're focused on his kingdom. That they're owning their spiritual growth. That they're responsible for inviting others into this family, into this kingdom. That they're, they're growing as a leader worth, worth following. That they're embracing Christian community. And that they're developing a servant's heart. That they're forged. Right, when we get to heaven, God is not going to ask us if we're happy. Or if our kids cussed. <laughs> when this life is over, the only thing that will matter to God is if we knew him. Right? In fact, take a, take a look at the scariest verse in all of the Bible. Right? This should downright terrify you if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook. All right? But Matthew chapter 7, the scariest verse in all the Bible, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gives his like initial sermon, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, at the end of the, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he simply says this, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name. But Jesus says, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Right? We did all these things. We did all these good things. We did them in your name. I, I don't know you. Right? There's going to be people who get to the end of this life and they're going to stand before God and they're going to list off all the things they did. God, I made, uh, I made my spouse happy. God, my kids went to college. They were successful business people. God, I, I fought for this good cause, this cause that you cared about. God, I volunteered here and I went to church here and I gave and I served. And look at all the things I did and God is going to say, cool, good job. But I don't know you. Get away from me. I am not intimate with you. We do not have an authentic relationship. It's hard. But listen, Foundry. I don't think I'm overstating the importance here. Your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with your future spouse and its success, any relationship hinges entirely on your authentic intimacy with God. Right? Here, here's the truth, right? Many of us are trying to have that, that Christian marriage, whatever, again, whatever that means, without Jesus. Right? We're, we're trying to have this, this, this Christian marriage without Jesus. And what I mean by that is this, right? we are experts in how a successful Christian marriage should look. Right? We, we know uh, what we should look like, uh, we know what we should do, uh, we know how we should behave and what we should do with our families. We are experts in the work, but we're not experts in the person of Jesus. And that's the only thing that we're called to be experts in. 
Right? Last week, we challenged you to spend 15 minutes a day in meaningful conversation with your spouse. Now, here's another question. When was the last time we spent 15 minutes in meaningful conversation with the God of the universe, the creator of all? Right? When was the last time we laid ourselves bare before Jesus and we said, here is where I am. Here is what I'm feeling, Lord. Here is what I am struggling with. Here is what makes me most happy. And then we were just quiet. And we listened. We just laid there and and sought and seeked for his direction and will. You want to diffuse the bomb of pride that we throw into our relationships, the smoke bomb. We got to humble ourselves before God and say, I need to know you. That's the first step. That's the foundation. All right. Then the next thing we see from this Genesis story that we read to diffuse this smoke bomb of pride is found in, in chapter 2, verse 18, where it says this It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, I'm sure you've, you've been to about a million and one different weddings where they use this verse to explain why marriage is so important. Right? They always say, right, it's not good for a man to be alone. Right? They, they talk about this verse and they'll say something like, like, these two souls, these two miserable souls have been wandering around in isolation for years and years and years. And, and time and space, they were lonely, they were miserable, and now they know each other. Right? And all is well. Right? They go blah, 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 blah. And the guys are gagging at the wedding. And all the single people are left like, oh, man, what about me? I feel like crap. But that interpretation really misses the mark. Right? Listen, the reason God said it was not good for man to be alone was because he was literally the only person on the planet. Right? Right? He I keep using Matt Damon as movie references, which I, Joshua pointed out to me last week that I, I had the right movie but the wrong actor. But this one I think I'm good. All right, Matt Damon in the movie Martian, all right? Yes, okay. He was all alone, right? He was all alone on a planet growing potatoes for dinner, right? It was a pretty sad situation. He needed someone. Right? God was in community with, with, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, and he knew that men would need community as well. So, so here it is. The second way, the second step to defuse the bomb or the smoke bomb of pride is to have authentic relationships with Christian community. All right? And this isn't just some Jesus answer churchy answer. Right? You got to have authentic relationships with a Christian community. And let me, let me explain, right? You got to be a part of the bride of Christ. Right? I'm not married just to Christina. I'm also in a relationship with the bride of Christ, the church. Right? Again, to have a good marriage, we must not only focus on our marriage, we also have to focus on the church, the bride. Right? We must focus on the people that God has placed around us. Right? True intimacy right, in relationships requires an inner core of the gospel the good news of what Jesus has done for us. It requires a a heart that is full of Jesus. Listen, at at our core, we must love God and know him. And then a truly intimate relationship with an outer context of Christian community. Look at it like this. Relational intimacy must be sourced by the good news of Christ 
and surrounded by people of his church, his bride. Right, let, me, let me give you an example of where Christina and I first learned this early on in our marriage. We were in a fight. I have no idea what it was about. I'm sure I was right. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. I was right. Anyways, right, she called her mom, Mary Alice. It was early on in our marriage. And Mary Alice said a few wise words. But one of the things that she told her was that she said, you need to find a good Christian friend to talk to this about. And she, said, and she made it very clear that she was not that friend. <laughs> Christina, I'm not that friend, Christina. Go find someone else. Talk about this. Right? You need to find someone and talk about this that's going to point you back to God and to Andrew and to challenge you to make it right and to do uh, the right thing, right? What she, she meant by this, what Mary Alice meant by this is you need to be in a Christian community. You're isolated, right? A community that will lovingly and kindly point out what happened, but will always send you back to your husband, in, my case, or in her case, to, to fix this issue. And we're not talking anything like huge, like abuse, or, or, right? She was saying you just, you just need, some, you need some perspective. You just need someone to walk alongside you, right? Sometimes you, we can get in groups uh, of the same sex and conversations become a complaint fest uh, where we just bash our spouse. And we hear things like, oh, that sounds like a, like a horrible relationship. You need to get out right now. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? We just had a fight about where to go to for dinner, <laughs> right? right? That's not helpful, right? That, that's not Christian community, right? And that's what the point Mary Alice, her, her mom, was making. Right? She's saying, God needs to be at the center of your life, and God needs to be at the center of your friend. You need that community to speak into. Right? When we are in Christian community and we stand together in authenticity, things like this, they don't happen. And even, even more, it's very hard to be prideful. Right? Right? You know, in fact, it becomes easier just to be yourself when you're in Christian community. It is exhausting to hide behind a smoky facade, facade, thank you, of lies. But when we are in authentic community with other Christians, our load, our weight becomes lighter. Right? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, share each other's burdens. Share each other's burdens. Church, we are not meant to struggle alone in quiet isolation, holding firmly to our pride. We are meant to lay down our burdens at the feet of those in our Christian community who step up to the table with each other. Right? And that's why uh, fellowship is so important. That's why we have meals together and just times where we hang out together. And we encourage you to come early for, for uh, breakfast. And, and why we have bring a friend Sunday and, and Bible studies. We're actually just kicked off a test Bible study. Uh, small groups that we are hoping to relaunch here at the Foundry. Uh, we kicked off the first week of this test one with, with Tom and Julie leading us this last Wednesday. That's why that's so important. That's why we're, we're, we're testing it out so we can all do this in the fall and embrace this Christian community. It's why we have Christian counselors that are available to us, that are a part of our Christian community. Right? In authentic Christian community, our sins of pride, our sins of, of selfishness and unforgiveness are lovingly identified, prayed for, and they're challenged. 
Right? In, in community, when we step up to the table with each other, we are given examples of healthy, intimate marriages from which we can learn and glean from that we can imitate. Right? In Christian community, we can be known and loved and encouraged to be more than we are in our own marriages, in our own roles, whatever they may be. Right? Even if the bomb goes off because, like we kind of pointed out last week, there's going to be troubles, right? Paul says that. If you get married, if you gotta, there's going to be problems. So if the bomb does go off, and it will, the smoke can be cleared away with each other to make way for the final thing that we can do to dismantle this smoke bomb of pride. Right? Look with me at Galatians chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. And we'll, we'll find that final thing. It says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Right? Now in your Bibles... If you want, you can underline the word united. If you're reading from the King James Version, it says your husband will cleave to his wife, which is a great word. You can underline cleave if you're reading. I don't think anyone here is reading the King James. But, but that's a cool word, right? The, this word is a game changer for our relationship. And, and whether it's united or cleave in your translation, either, either word comes from the Hebrew word uh, davik, right? <laughs> I butchered that. I'm sorry. And that word means to stick yourself to, to adhere to, to cement yourself to. Two. And this is, this is like sticking and cementing that is not temporary. This is not a Velcro situation. Right? We're talking about like permanent glue here. Right? The, the stuff that they glue stuff to the rocket ships with. Right? Or, or if you got cut and they super glued your cut. Right? This is what we're talking about. It's the same word that the Old Testament uh, prophets used to describe the way that God and the nation of Israel cemented themselves together in an arrangement. It's the word that they used to describe being in covenant with God. Adam and Eve were to be in permanent, not Velcro, permanent covenant, authentic, full intimate relationship. They were to know each other fully, right? Seriously, and before the fall, they did, right? Before everything changed, Adam and Eve were naked in front of each other all the time. Talk about intimacy, right? They, they knew everything, and I do mean everything. They, they knew about the weird moles that they each had. They knew it all, and they were not ashamed, right? They did the third thing that we need to do to, to disarm, to clear away this smoke bomb of pride. The third and final step, authentically love your spouse. Authentically love your spouse. They literally put everything out in the open. There was no hiding, no lies, no, no question about what the other was feeling. It was all just put out there on the table. And I think it has to do with the reason this step comes last in our list today. Right? Just, just, um, just there in, is just like there's a specific order to defuse a bomb. 
Uh, I'm guessing because that's what they do in the movies. Like, this one first, this wire second, pull this, unzip. Like, there's always an order. I'm guessing, right? There's a specific order to how we defuse this bomb as well. Right? It's essential, in fact. Right? This bomb is no different than those movie ones. Right? We must first love and know God. Right? Then we must be in community with his bride. And then we can authentically love our spouse to the greatest capacity that we were created to have. Right? The, the foundation is set. Adam and Eve were able to authentically love their spouse because they were first intimately in love and loved by God. Right? They, they knew what God's steps sounded like. They knew what he looked like, what he, how he spoke. They, they knew him intimately. They knew what he wanted them to do, who he wanted them to become, how much he, he loved them and how much he had done for them. And they, they knew the goal of their life was, was a God-given goal. As individuals and as a couple, and, and out of that knowledge, they knew how to authentically love one another. And so as the, the band comes on up, Foundry Church, you see, marriage is supposed to be a, a reflection of Christ's love for the church. That's why it was created. The emotional, the intellectual, the experiential, the sexual intimacy of husband and wife is supposed to reflect and express the intimate love between Christ and his people. If we are unaware of how much God loves us, if we are unaware of what it means to be in intimate relationship with his people, with his bride, then we will be wholly unaware of how to authentically love our spouse. Now, on the, on the other hand, if we know and are fully known by God, we don't leave anything hidden from him. If we are, are being authentically involved in Christian community to the best that we can, well then, we are wholly aware of what loving our spouse should look like. Right? It looks like patience. It looks like understanding. It looks like grace and forgiveness. If, if we are fully known by God and, and fully intimate with him, and if we're in that Christian community, we know what it means to love our spouse. It means dying to ourselves, being slow to, to, to speak, quick to listen, accepting one another's faults, encouraging growth in each other. It's barring one, bearing one another's burdens. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, true love. It's joy, true joy. It's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, self-control. It looks like a walk in the garden with God of the universe in one hand and with our spouse in the other hand. That's what it looks like. You know, sometimes I write these messages and I think, oh, that's, that's good, but that sounds a little churchy. And that's coming from a pastor. <laughs> right? You guys are just going, that's a little churchy. It's, but it's so true. Right? Know God. Be intimate with him. Right? Gather at the altar on Sundays and worship him. 
Because he's worth it. He's the foundation of all of it. He's what makes everything in our life that much more important, including our marriages. And so we worship him. We get to know him. We study. We pray. We get to know him. You know, you see these books out there. Some of these books are geared just to know God. I would recommend starting with this one. Core 52. 52 verses. All right, it says 15-minute daily guide to build your Bible IQ. You can change that to say, because I've done this a few times, 52 verses to make you more intimate with the God of the universe. There's a student edition for teenagers. There's a kid edition that's coming out next month, which we'll order. All right, get this book. Chasing Vines by Beth Moore is a good one about, about how Jesus, how God, he's the giver of all. Finding your way back to God is another one, a good one to start with. There's ones for kids. And if you're really adventurous and you like really hard books, this is the best book I've read so far this year, Holier Than Thou by Jackie Hill Perry. She'll wreck you on the holiness of God. All right? That's not for the faint of heart. Hard read. Know God. Get into Christian community. Step up to the table. All right? It's why we're, we're doing Bible studies. That's why we're, we're planning and praying and working, like I said, for, for this fall, launch small groups. But we also have two that are available right now. In your bulletin, you can see that the uh, Iron Council is going to be meeting on August 27th. This is just a men's group. 7 o'clock here outside. We're on the fire if it's nice. There'll usually food. I have a new axe-throwing target that's not going to put us in danger. The axes aren't going to bounce back at us this time. All right? It's where we get into community with each other. The, the second one is for the women. You guys are going on a retreat in September. Put it on your calendar now. There's an iPad out here. You can sign up. You can sign up on the app. I think it's what, like $100? It's up in Baltimore. That's your hotel room and a bunch of food, your registration. Priscilla Schreier is going to be teaching Friday night, all day Saturday. Put it on your calendar now. Community. All right? We make it easy. And then, of course, authentic relationship with your spouse. In the app, when you download the app, there's a set of questions in there. There are questions that Christina and I ask ourselves, or we try just to be honest, we try to ask ourselves every week. We're not perfect at it. Well, Christine and I, we try to ask ourselves every week, and we stole this from some other pastor somewhere. Right, what brought you joy this week? What was something that was hard for you this week? What is one thing I can do for you this coming week? Is there any unconfessed sin, conflict, or hurt that we need to seek forgiveness for? Then we ask, what is a dream, a craving, a desire that has been on the forefront of your mind? How can we achieve it? How can I pray for you this week? Those questions are in the app. It's not a long conversation. It's usually on our way to some restaurant, right? Or as we're walking in or waiting for our seat. It doesn't have to be long. Sometimes that craving is, we want ice cream, right? Helps that communication, takes that four minutes and kind of stretches it out. We're in this together. So let's glorify God and worship him and thank him for being the foundation of all of our marriages, of our relationship. Let's stand and sing.
those questions, if you're in the app, you click on the resource tab and they're called um, practicing your promise questions, just so you know.